Merry Christmas, everyone. All right. Today is the seventh day of Christmas. Uh, you, can't, you can't see it, but we've got seven swans of swimming over here in the baptismal. I got one, two laughs. All right, that's fine. Just kidding. Um, hopefully, you, you do, do still have some decorations up, though, uh, because the liturgical calendar has us celebrating the incarnation, the birth of Christ, for another few days. And then this, this coming Saturday is the Feast of Epiphany, which commemorates the coming, the, the coming of the Magi, the visit of the Magi. And remember, the, the Magi were Gentiles. The Magi were not Jewish. And so traditionally, the, the Feast of Epiphany is a natural opportunity to remember and to celebrate that Jesus was born not only as the King of the Jews, but also as the king of all kings. And our psalm today, Psalm 147, serves as a sort of bridge between Christmas and Epiphany because it prompts us to reflect upon this. It may not appear at first glance that Psalm 147 has much to say about the universal lordship of Jesus and the good news of the kingdom being extended out to all nations, but it does. It very much does. Psalm 147 was, was likely written as the Jewish exiles were working to rebuild the temple and the city of Jerusalem. In other words, during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. This is a psalm for people who look at their community or who look out at their broader society and see the need for repair and rebuilding. Psalm 147 is divided into to three distinct stanzas marked by three calls to praise. Verse 1, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Verse 7, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, make melody to our God on the lyre. And verse 12, Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem, Praise your God, O Zion. So we have three stanzas marked by three calls to praise. But for our purposes today, we're just going to zero in on the third stanza, okay? We're zeroing in on verses 12 to 20. Psalm 147, beginning in verse 12. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. So God is depicted as the repairer and rebuilder of his people. He strengthens our gates and he blesses our children. And he brings us shalom. And he provides an an overabundance. He provides an overabundance for us to feast upon. Verse 15, he sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He curls down his crystals like ice, his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. This is interesting imagery. Because in the Bible, God is is far more often depicted or associated with fire than with ice. 
But here in Psalm 147, we're, we're getting some, uh, some serious Queen Elsa vibes, right? The weather keeps changing in Psalm 147. In verse 4, the psalmist describes a clear night sky with all the stars clearly visible. In verse 8, the, the clouds come and they give rain to the earth and cause grass to grow upon the hills. And then by the time we come to verses 16 to 18, it's like we're caught in a blizzard. God is revealed as the God of ice, the God of the cold. He gives snow. He, he scatters frost. He hurls down hail and sleet. And all of this happens according to his command. He is sovereign over the cold. And in his sovereignty, this cold can be a blessing or this cold can be a curse. We, we see something very similar to this in Job 37. Job 37. To the snow, God says, fall on the earth. Likewise, to the downpour, his mighty downpour. Then the beasts go into their lairs and remain in their dens. From its chamber comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick cloud with moisture and clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world, whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen whether for correction or for his land or for love, he causes it to happen. He causes cold to happen. So cold can be a blessing or cold can be a curse. And of course, the the nation of Israel had experienced both. That's what the return from exile was like. God had permitted their land to freeze over, so to speak. But now, as we see in verse 18, he is sending out his word and melting the ice. He is making his wind blow and the waters flow. The word for wind there is the same Hebrew word for spirit. He makes his spirit blow and the waters flow. So God is sovereign over the cold. And and even when the cold comes as a curse, God is able to transform curse into blessing by sending out his word. And by sending out his spirit, God is able to transform curse into blessing. If you think about it, that's that's what the birth of Christ accomplished for the people of Israel. Even though they were living in the land and, and Jerusalem and the temple had been rebuilt, they were still living in the cold. They were in the cold. They were living under Roman occupation longing to be set free. They were hoping for a Messiah to come and drive out the enemy, right? Of course, the the Messiah did not come for that purpose. But nevertheless, as, as the Spirit of God fell upon Mary, a young virgin, and as the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, the ice began to melt. The waters were beginning to flow. The Messiah came to unfreeze the human heart. And so this this works on a personal level too. When life brings you cold and curse, 
It's only by the word of God and the spirit of God that your cold and your curse can be transformed into a blessing. The word of God and the spirit of God can take your pain and your suffering and turn it into a holy thing, a thing fit for holy use, a thing suitable for the deepening of your own faith and for the upbuilding of other people. When we entrust our pain and our suffering to God, he, he does not take away the pain of it. He does not roll back the clock and make it unhappen. But he does fill it with meaning. He does transform it into something useful and beautiful. By his word and his spirit, God is able to melt that ice and to cause uh, living, life-giving water to flow through our dry and cold hearts. So entrust your pain and your suffering, be it, be it chronic or acute, be it spiritual, relational, emotional, mental, physical. Entrust your pain and your suffering to the God who is sovereign over the cold. That brings us to verses 19 and 20. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Earlier, I I said that Psalm 147 prompts us to reflect upon the universal lordship of Jesus and the good news of the kingdom being extended out to all nations. And I think we see it in verse 20. You see, verse 20 is both true and no longer true. Yikes. The pastor just say the Bible is no longer true. Here's what I mean. In verse 19, God declares his rules and his statutes to the nation of Israel. And then verse 20 states that God has not dealt thus with any other nation. The other nations do not know his rules. And it's true that God has dealt with the nation of Israel in a very unique way. But now, because of Jesus, it's no longer true that the nations do not know his rules. God has dealt thus with the nations in Christ. Because of Jesus, the nations do know his word. Or because of Jesus, the nations are learning, are hearing his word. And I I really think that's built into the Great Commission. It's built into the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and disciple the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe my commandments, teaching them to obey God's rules. The Great Commission calls us to make individual disciples, but the Great Commission also calls us to make the the nations our disciples. The Great Commission calls followers of Jesus to teach the world to live under the universal lordship of Jesus. The message of the gospel is that our sins can be forgiven. Yes. But the message of the gospel is also that there is a king of kings, a supreme ruler over all the earth whose love and glory and sovereignty demand our fealty and our obedience. His word runs swiftly 
it says in verse 15, throughout all the earth, to all the nations. His word, by the power of his spirit, has the power to melt a frozen world. And that is the word we are called to proclaim far as the curse is found. Jesus is Lord. Christ is the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace. Joy to the world, we're about to sing. I want you to dwell on the words that you will sing in a few minutes. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. That is what Christmas means. That, that is the implication of Christmas. And so throughout uh, the season of Epiphany, we have plenty of time to talk about our responsibility in light of the universal lordship of Jesus, missions, evangelism, hospitality, and so on. But this being Christmastide, we're still in the 12 days of Christmas, right? The seventh day of Christmas. So, so rather than dwelling on our responsibility, I think it's appropriate to, to simply celebrate and to give thanks that we have such a king. We may live in a cold world, and at times it may be colder than others, but his word and his spirit have come. And in us and through us, his word and his spirit are still coming. And as sure as God is sovereign over the cold, living water will flow to the ends of the earth. So praise the Lord. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God of fire, God of ice, you are sovereign over whatever comes our way. So help us to trust you. Jesus, you are the word who melts this frozen world. The word who melts this frozen world. May your kingdom come. Holy Spirit, um, may living water flow. May, may every cursed thing be transformed into a source of divine blessing by your power. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.